Last time on Battalion 13, the podcast, Madeline of Terra 1 lost her life to suicide. Lexi of the Renegades was found mentally unstable. Nightmare has begun his investigation as to why this occurred. Welcome to Battalion 13, the podcast, episode 8. Lexi saw nothing but darkness, felt the hard stone floor through her thin mattress on the ground, and the soft warmth of the blanket draped over her as she drifted off to sleep. She then felt the familiar sensation of her head being split open. She saw light, like the sun, pulling her eyelids open and forcing itself into her vision. Lexi's very soul seemed to be pulled from her body and into a realm of gray and fog. She was bound at the torso to a large wooden stake in the ground, her limbs left to move free for now. No, 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 not again, please, not here again. She began to softly weep, but no tears came out. Instead, she heard the loud rustling of a soft fabric and felt something small, numerous, and soft shifting behind her eyes. Then her focus began shifting and blurring as pressure built at the edge of her eyes. Then, one small poly-like being gently crawled out from under her lids and down her cheeks. Then another, and another, more and more of them suddenly bursting forth under her eyelids like a torrent of tears out of her eyes and streaming down her face. She screamed, and more of them burst forth, pouring from her eyes and rapidly scurrying down her cheeks. As she cried, her nose began to run. She felt something bubbling up in her throat and an expanding pressure in her sinuses. She wiped her nose and felt something squish, something fleshy and small. She looked at her hand and gagged. A maggot smeared across her hand in a bloody, chunky mess, wriggled and then fell limp. She felt the bile building up in her throat as she screamed and cried. More maggots crawled from her nose. More spiders fled in a deluge from her eyes and she collapsed in a puddle of fear and torment on the ground. As she tried to put her hands on her temples, she felt a sharp prick on her fingers. She pulled her hands away, seeing blood on her fingertips, and searched her head. She pulled off a loosely fitted crown of woven brambles covered with thorns. She dropped it to the floor and it fell and evaporated midair. She then felt a slight weight and tightening about her head, causing her to carelessly feel her forehead. She pricked her fingers again and realized she had the crown of thorns upon her head again. What do you want from me? She screamed into the infinite fog. She wiped her tears, trying to put forth a brave front, when she noticed her flesh came off with the spiders across her forearm. She felt the muscle tissue on her cheeks. It felt malleable and soft with a firm structure. There was also a slime residue left on her fingertips. She felt as though she could peel a small piece of her face off, and then as she did, she felt nothing. She looked at the piece and noticed it had changed in color. It was pallid gray, rotting meat, as if her face was nothing but decaying necrotic tissue. Throwing away the piece, Lexi saw her escaped maggots swarm the tiny chunk and consume it in a split second. Then she felt her maggots stop crawling down her face and body, turn around, and crawl toward the newly exposed flesh. She felt a soft plucking at her face, 
which she quickly realized was the maggots eating her face. She began picking them off her face and throwing them away, tearing them off as fast as she could. But the maggots kept coming faster and faster, more and more, and in such volume that she couldn't keep up. For what seemed like an eternity, she felt the plucking and picking sensation until she could feel them inside her mouth, tearing at her skin, almost touching the skin that still retained nerves. As they filled their bellies, they dropped to the floor and morphed into flies swarming her vision. Bothered by the flies, Lexi couldn't continue to pick the maggots off as she swatted the flies. The maggots crawled under her skin and ate her rotting muscle tissues, and she felt soon the only thing left to be revealed would be her bones. Once the maggots finished their facial tissue meal, they began inching down her face in a mucus-slicked stream once more. The flies began to clear up around her head and nestled in her hair. Lexi then looked at her feet, feeling another nibbling sensation. She saw a large white lump poking out of the top of her boots. Pulling out the lump, she realized it had a nice heft to it, like a dumbbell. She found that this white lump was a large, pure white, blue-eyed rabbit. She smiled. After all, it's a cute bunny, right? But the nibbling sensation continued, slowly growing in intensity. And soon Lexi tore off her boots to reveal several baby bunnies, voraciously devouring her feet. Now she became terrified of these baby bunnies because soon it began to hurt when they bit, and her flesh came off piece by piece. She cried. She screamed. She felt lost, alone, and afraid. Please stop this, I beg of you. She watched as her bones were exposed by these little bunnies. Her range of motion was soon completely restricted as someone shackled her hands while she wasn't looking, and then bound them to the stake. She cried harder. She tried to turn her head around, but to no avail. Please, why are you? Lexi was cut off as soon as short, silver, chalk-coated, blood-stained dagger was pressed to her throat swiftly. Don't speak. Just listen to your mother. Follow in her footsteps. Let Grandpa exploit your desires and make you rich. Lexi's eyes followed the tip of the blade as it slowly trailed down the center of her body, as if tracing a path. Suddenly, the dagger sharply planted itself deep in her groin. Hot, searing fire shot up her body, and black blood surged forth. It traced its previously drawn path up the center of her body, slicing through her intestines and stomach. The chunks of her organs fell into the black pool that spread from her and splashed with a terrible splat onto the floor. The white baby bunnies were soon dyed red with waves of black blood that surged forth like a raging sea of pain. She screamed. Spiders poured forth faster from her eyes as she cried. And as the searing hot pain began to reach her heart, she surged back into consciousness. Daddy Emerson! Daddy Emerson! Daddy Emerson! Emerson snapped awake from her cries. Yes, child, what is wrong? But Lexi did not respond. Instead, she sat there, lifeless. Her eyes spilled over with tears. Her cries were silent now, and her body was limp. But she sat upright. Child, speak. I cannot help if you do not tell me. He scooted closer to her and tried to hug her, but she quickly broke free, running to the nearest corner of the room. Lexi, it is okay. Just calm down. I help you. 
Emerson cautiously approached her. She shook with terror now, curled up, sobbing silently. Her breathing was unsteady. Beautiful child, you know fear. I will help you, it is okay. He reached out to her. She smacked his hand away, and Emerson was taken aback. No one dares to defy him, especially not Lexi. He made a call for Nightmare, who came quickly and brought Dominator and Destroyer. Nightmare, something is wrong with Lexi. She won't let me touch her. I tried to help. Something is dreadfully wrong with Lexi. Why did you call for us? A doctor would have been more helpful. I fear it is not so simple. She woke from her sleep violently. She screamed for me. This is not my area of expertise. I hope the Nightmare could do a better job than I. For record, I never called for either of you. As Nightmare stepped into the room, he immediately spotted the sobbing girl in the corner. Destroyer, Dominator, and Emerson watched with concern as he knelt in front of the devastated Lexi. Lexi, what happened? She just whimpered. Destroyer pulled Dominator to Lexi's side and sent Dominator inside her head quickly. What the fuck? Lexi, a bleeding, sobbing mess, was chained to a stake, split clean in half, and coated with disgusting bugs. Dominator, doing her best to avoid all the pieces of the poor girl on the floor, unchained Lexi and carried her as best she could out of this place. When they both regained consciousness, Dominator flung herself backwards and reached for the nearest thing to puke into, trying to hold the bile in her throat. Destroyer fled to her side and patted her back. Lexi, now conscious, looked up at Nightmare. There she is. What happened? She then noted the knife in his hip and lunged for it. Drawing it from its sheath, she placed the edge at her ankles, thinking that maybe if her feet were gone, the pain would stop. All of the nightmares would stop, and no one would be able to suckle them again. Everything would just stop. She began sawing through her boot, when Nightmare grabbed her hands and tried to pull the knife from her fingertips. Lexi was determined to make the pain go away as she held the knife in a death grip and tried to saw through her feet. Nightmare futilely struggled for possession of the knife while trying to be careful to neither allow himself or Lexi to be cut, so Destroyer came to help him. Lexi, stop this! Destroyer and Nightmare struggled to tear the knife from the girl's grip. Having very little strength despite the adrenaline pumping through her body, they finally wrenched the knife away from her and were flung apart by the sheer force of pulling. Nightmare, sheathing it once more, concealed it better this time. Destroyer finally noticed a trail of blood from Lexi's resting place and followed where it led. Lexi now sat against the wall, panting, her legs resting lazily on the floor. Lexi, are your pants stained with blood? <sighs> Mommy let the bad men in. I didn't know she also let in some bad women. Dominator couldn't hold back her bile any longer. Realizing Lexi's dream was so powerful as to become reality in part. Everyone stared at Lexi, sobbing on the floor in horror. What could have happened to her? Lexi's breathing had slowed now. The sparkle in Emerson's eyes was lost. He looked at Nightmare as if he was pleading for another answer. He could not accept that his favorite was lost to him. No, Nightmare. My Lexi is gone. She will not be same Lexi after this minery. Please, Thrall of Abuser is strong. We cannot let him go unpunished. If this is Dark Cloud's work, he is stronger than us in Dreamscape. 
highly doubt that. I have been controlling vampires for years now, and I was the one to teach Dark Cloud how to use the Dreamscape. There's no way he could yield this type of power. But I saw it myself, remember? And if he has been using the Dreamscape to communicate, and we only use it with vampires who we already control, his practice could make him more adept. Good point. If Dark Cloud do this to Lexi, imagine what he could do to all other renegades. He will have power over everyone, not just vampires. Shit. We definitely didn't think of that. Your thrall powers are only 70 to 80% effective, and they only work on our teams. Ye but. Story is right. We are looking at hostile takeover. You're really going to make me do this, aren't you? Emerson, Dominator, and Destroyer said nothing, but looked with desperation at Nightmare. Fine, I'll head over to Dr. Boris Ale Emporium and talk to the Pigpen piece of shit. If he did this, the consequences for his actions will be severe. No one goes against the ethical protocols of the Renegades. Pharos was in a mortal studies class, listening to the lecture. He was the only Rakshasa demon in that class, but Professor Maheg didn't let that stop him from educating the class on Pharos's people. Most of the United Alliance of Dimensions is comprised of human worlds. Yours is not a world that many humans would find agreeable, is it, Pharos? No. Humans should not go to my world until all Rakshasa learn to treat humans with respect. I have some experience with this. I bet you enjoyed doing experiments on our kind. I would never do that. I fought for human rights on my world. How dare you! Pharos got up and stalked over to the man that offended him. He lifted him up by his throat with ease and growled at him. Put him down! I will not be spoken to in this manner. Put him down right now! Pharos dropped the man back into his seat. Pharos, I'm sorry. I know this is a rough subject for you. I think you may want to talk to Davina. She is trained to deal with these kinds of emotions. Send that moron to Davina. He speaks ill of my character and insults me with his unwise words. If he is not careful, I will show him the true meaning of pain. That won't be necessary. Please go see Davina. Pharos looked down at the offender. You are lucky. I am being sent to the counselor. The man shrugged as if to say, whatever while tenderly rubbing his neck. Ferris left the class and went to see Davina. Mr... What was your name? Ah, yes. Mr. Finch. You obviously are not Battalion 2 material, but most of our battalions are mixed units, and if you are to succeed here, you will do well to learn how to get along with other species. And as I am your teacher, I guess that makes it my job to teach you that, too. Teamwork is vital in all of the battalions. Hmm. But maybe you are one of those who has to learn things the hard way. I'll make a note to let Pharos rip one of your arms off the next time you insult him. Will that help? Max noticed a rather short woman with dark hair and pale skin enter the cafeteria and rushed toward where Darian and Kristen were sitting. 
Max was a little nervous at seeing the urgency of her gait and her body language. Hello, Darian. I'm afraid I have some bad news. What is it? The woman looked at the floor for a moment, as if collecting her thoughts, then back at Darian. There's been an incident back on your earth. Your sister Madeline is dead. You and your brother need to head home for a week to attend the funeral. You're on bereavement leave, effective immediately. She attempted to hand Darian a tablet. This will give you directions for returning home. Darian was shocked. He had figured it was something to do with his classes. He hadn't been prepared for this. He just sat there in stunned silence for a few minutes. His stomach dropped to the floor and his ears started ringing. Suddenly he couldn't see or hear anything around him. Nothing felt real. He felt like vomiting. Kristen saw this and reached out to take the tablet from the woman. Am I allowed to go with them? Of course. I'll make arrangements for you to miss a week of classes to be made up once you come back. What about Max and Chad? Max and Madeline used to date. He... he should be there, too. The woman looked a bit impatient. Well, you can't have everyone on leave for a week, but have them fill out a bereavement leave request. I'll see what I can do to expedite the farms. Thank you. What's your name? So we know how to keep in touch with you about all this. My name is Davina. I am the school's emotional support counselor. If you need anything at all while you're here, please contact my office. Thank you, Davina. Davina walked out of the cafeteria, and as soon as she was out of sight, Kristen turned to Darian. Are you okay? Darian just sat there in stunned silence. He couldn't move. He could barely think. Lost in a collapsing world of his own, falling in on himself. He couldn't see or hear anything outside his collapsing bubble. He couldn't reply to Kristen's question. Kristen could see this was difficult for him. So she just put her arm around him and waited for him to say something. It was about ten minutes later that Darian started to reconnect to the reality outside himself and regain his motor functions enough to speak. We need to tell Max and Chad. Okay. I know that Max is over there sitting with his new friends, but I don't know where Chad is. Darian started to move around a little. I'll tell Max. Can you find Chad and let him know? They'll need to put in their leave request forms immediately. Kristen nodded and then left to find Chad. She had a couple ideas of places he could be. Darian slowly stood up and walked over to where Max was sitting, all the while feeling the weight of what he had just been told. Once he was only a foot away from Max, he cleared his throat to get Max's attention. Max, we need to talk. In private. Max excused himself from the table, and they walked to an isolated table. What is it, D? You need to put in a leave request form for one week effective immediately. What do you mean? Why? It's Madeline. She's... dead. Darian could hardly believe that he was telling Max this. It seemed surreal. Max was also shocked, but that passed quickly into anger. How? He was shaking with rage. What the fuck? In all the confusion, Darian just realized that he didn't even know how it happened. I don't know. They didn't tell me. I'll go ahead and fill out the leave request form, but while I do that, you need to find out how she died. Darian nodded in agreement and went off to find Davina to get the answer.
Dr. Boris Alemporian was particularly quiet at this time of day, just after 3 p.m. The smell in the bar was a mixture of expired cooking oils and of men who had not bathed in quite a while. Nightmare took shallow breaths and set his mind on his childhood. To a memory of the flower and herb garden his mother maintained. The image was enough to set his mind back to his current goal. He left a brief message with the barkeep for Dark Cloud in order to chamomile tea, something unusual for him now, but not for the memory in his mind. As he sipped the tea, Dark Cloud arrived, smiled, and joined Nightmare at their usual table. Dark Cloud attempted to pull Nightmare directly into the dreamscape for their conversation, but Nightmare put a shield up, preventing the exchange. Dark Cloud wrote, Talk? on his chalkboard and pointed to it. I apologize for not reverting to our previous method of communication, but I'm not feeling up to traveling to the dreamscape at the moment. I appreciate you allowing us to speak here out in the open. Dark Cloud wrote, sure, on the chalkboard. I need your help. One of my vamp sluts, Lexi, was attacked in the dreamscape. She was mind-raped. My team and I were hoping that with your abilities, you might be able to help us figure out what happened. I know you learned your skills from me, but you've become quite proficient in using them in the dreamscape. Dark Cloud seemed unfazed by this new information. In the dreamscape, Lexi was tied up and abused. This creep inside the dreamscape was saying things like, I love you more than your father ever did. Do you know who could be doing this? Dark Cloud simply wrote, no, wiped the words away quickly and wrote more. Anything else? Don't you take the renegade ethical protocols seriously? One of our own has been assaulted. Dark Cloud wrote, not my job, mercenary. This is serious. I need your help. Can you search the dreamscape, see if there are any clues that you can pick up? Dark Cloud closed his eyes and began to move into the dreamscape in his mind. A grin flashed over his face. Nightmare interrupted before the connection occurred. You think this is funny? Dominator said she saw you there. Go ahead. Now try to deny it. Kristen was desperately trying to find Chad. She had already been to the library and the armory with no sign of him. Suddenly it dawned on her where he might be. She decided to go to Cynthia's dorm room. The only problem was that she had no idea where it was. It occurred to her that the tablet she had from Davina might just contain a map of the campus with dorm room assignments. She tapped the screen and it came to life. She thought she had seen someone talking to the tablet to call information up on the screen. So she tried that. Can you direct me to Cynthia Trask's dorm room? The tablet did not respond. She noticed a button on the bottom of the tablet and pressed it. A tone sounded and she tried again. Processing request. The display changed and there was a map to Cynthia's dorm room. Kristen followed it and about five minutes later she arrived at Cynthia's door. Kristen stepped onto the pad in front of the door to activate the door chime. She heard a muffled female voice. Coming. Uh, just a minute. When the door opened, Kristen saw Cynthia standing there in a robe that looked like it had just been thrown on. Hi. I'm sorry to bother you. I was looking for Chad. Cynthia's face was flush and turned a little red with what looked like embarrassment. He's here. We were just... Studying. You were studying, and you probably spilled something on your clothes, so you had to change. That was when you heard the door chime, right? 
Cynthia looked into Kristen's eyes and could tell that she was trying to make things less awkward for her. But she was not at all shy. No, you were having sex. Don't worry, we just finished. It's not that awkward, really. Having taken ownership of the situation, her face went back to its normal shade. She had nothing to be embarrassed about, nor would she be embarrassed. Kristen nodded and smiled slightly. Okay, uh, can I talk to Chad? It's important. Sure, let me go get him. The door slid shut as Cynthia walked back into her dorm room. A few minutes later, Chad opened the door, fully dressed. Hey, Chris. What's up? Kristen looked very somber. This made Chad a little nervous. Chad, there's no easy way to say this. Madeline is dead. Okay. You need to fill out a bereavement leave request form immediately so we can leave tonight for the funeral. Okay. Sucks. I was just thinking this was like one of the best days of my life. And this freaking happens. He turned towards Cynthia. I really don't want to. But I have to leave for a few days. Darian's sister died. Are you going to be okay while I'm gone? Of course. I'm so sorry. I know you guys were close. Yeah. There was this whole group of us that used to hang out back in school. She was very special to me. I know we talked about my old crush on her at the dance. You know, that's over now. Well, it was before now, too. Anyway, I... You have to go, Chad. It's okay. I love you. Don't say it unless you mean it. You know, it's killing me to leave right now. I wish you could come with me. I mean it. And I know there's no way for me to go with you. I hope you're not gone too long, but don't worry. I only have eyes for you. He kissed her on the cheek and left with Kristen. They began to walk back toward their dorm rooms. Kristen and Chad linked arms as both let tears flow freely down their cheeks. Ferris had just arrived in Davina's office. He sat down across the desk from Davina and stared at her angrily. What brings you here today, Ferris? Some idiot in my immortal studies class decided that would be a good day to tempt death and make an offensive remark about me and my people. What was said? He said that I probably enjoyed experimenting on humans way back on my home world. And why does that anger you so? I fought for human rights on my world. I stopped my own parents from experimenting on humans. Let's talk about that. What do you wish to know? What happened when you found out your parents were experimenting on humans? I immediately stopped them, but it did not go well. Go on. It was late one night. We had just finished our evening meal and I heard screams from our basement, a place I was not allowed to go per my parents' order. Then what happened? I investigated the sound. I went down to the basement and found a human female tied to an operating table. She was bound and gagged but the gag had slipped off of her face. When she saw me, she was terrified. She looked at me as if I were a monster. And to her, I probably looked that way. 
I untied her and escorted her out of the basement. She couldn't understand my language, so I gave her a translator chip. When I implanted it, she screamed again. But once she calmed down a bit, I explained why I did that and that I was getting her out of there. I asked her what earth she came from, but she did not know what I was talking about. Then my father caught us trying to leave. He raised his fists to me and punched me in the throat. Once I recovered from that, in a terrible rage, I threw him across the room and he hit his head on the corner of our eating room table. There was blood gushing from the wound, but he was still alive. Didn't know whether to help him or to get the human out, but I felt that if I didn't get the human out then, I would have no way of saving her. My mother came into the room and I screamed at her. I said, I thought that she of all people was better than this. I demanded to know where the human came from and told my mother if she didn't send her back, I was going to alert the authorities. But my mother knew that the authorities would do nothing about that. It wasn't yet illegal to experiment on lower life forms, and my people consider all other forms of life as lower. My mother wouldn't help me, so I grabbed the human and ran out of the door. I found others who believed the same as me, that humans were not lower life forms. We formed a sort of resistance. We created safe houses for the humans, and eventually found a way to send them home. I'm sensing there's more to this story than what you're telling me. What happened to your father? My father got medical attention, but he was in a coma when I left. I have felt guilty about hurting him since that day. It sounds like you did everything you could to save the humans that were being experimented on. In fact, looking at your records, this is the reason you were recruited for this academy. Be proud of who you are, and don't let the past haunt you. You did the right thing by us, and I understand you feel guilty about hurting your father, but just remember, you chose a side, and your father chose a side. You chose the side of helping others to save others. You've done great things already. You've made important friendships here, and you can do even greater things. I don't want to see you kicked out for violence against a human. Especially since it was saving humans that got you here in the first place. If someone says something negative about you, you need to stop and take a deep breath and then think about why you are here. You saved that woman. Think about what your goals are and don't let others trick you into sabotaging yourself. Don't let them get to you. People are afraid of you because you are different and obviously more powerful than themselves in some ways. Don't justify their fears. You do have a point. Perhaps I should find a different way to deal with them. Don't give in to anger. I don't want to see you in here again. Learn to control your temper. If you can't calm your anger, ask to be excused and go work out your anger in the gym. This is your only warning. Use your words to convey your feelings. The man that pissed you off is also being reprimanded. What he said is born of hate and intolerance, and that will not be tolerated here, by either side. I will take your advice under consideration, and I thank you for this discussion. I have been holding on to this for a long time, and perhaps it is time I let it go. I have much to think about. Take the rest of the day off to think about what you want to do. And remember, you're here for a reason. Take advantage of the classes. You won't find them at another academy. When you created that refuge for humans on Rakshasa 27, you showed tremendous compassion. Think of the treehouse sanctuary. 
the slides and secret doorways that added comfort and possible securities to the human lives. An organization that now flourishes because of your dream of making humans free. You were the architect of that movement. The humans felt safe and loved because you made them a home. Humanity was restored because you created pure hope. No one else could have done better. Thanks. I think that's exactly what I needed to hear. Anytime. My door is always open to you. If these emotions and thoughts arise again, feel free to come explore them with me, and we will try to find ways to deal with them. Pharos left and went back to his dorm room to consider what he would do next. For the past half hour, Nightmare had been quoting Lexi and Dominator's experience in the dreamscape to Dark Cloud. Dark Cloud had repeated the same story over and over again to Nightmare. I was camping with my nephews. And I suppose that you have an alibi for your absence? Someone to cover for you? Dark Cloud gestured to the full room. He scrawled. Ask anyone here. And they were all camping with you? Dark Cloud said nothing but began grooming his beard with saliva. Then, for no reason, he put his hand over his mouth and then turned away. He began to sit very still. How long have you been visiting Lexi in her dreams? Once again, Dark Cloud wrote the word camping on the board. Then he sat in his chair and crossed his feet. Drops of sweat fell from his forehead to his stained khaki trench coat. I hired you. You obey me. How dare you continue to lie to me? Dark Cloud scribbled shakily onto the chalkboard. I haven't got an inkling as to what you are referring to, Nightmare. Nightmare clenched his fist in absolute anger. You're a mercenary. I pay you to work for me. As my subordinate, I demand that you tell me the truth. Dark Cloud didn't shake off his gaze. Dark Cloud's scratches across the surface of the chalkboard were definite and sharp. His gaze as he looked up at Nightmare resolute and firm. Why would I lie to you? Have I ever given you reason to think I am untrustworthy? I am but a humble servant in your court, my lord. Nothing more. Yet he was still hiding something, and Nightmare knew it. Your trust can easily be bought off. Who do you work for? Nightmare knew that as a mercenary, this man could never be absolutely faithful to anyone. I work for you, Nightmare. You have my word. Dark Cloud continued to be firm and definitive as his chalkboard writing. Then prove it to me. Show me what I want to know, and you'll continue to have my trust, because you're losing every bit of it piece by piece the longer you fight me. Nightmare stood with his arms crossed and looked resolutely down at Dark Cloud. Dark Cloud looked up with certainty at Nightmare. There's nothing to see. I have not mind-raped anyone. I have not broken... Stop lying! Why would my commanders who trust I did not buy lie to me about you? Nightmare's commanding voice shook Dark Cloud, and he stopped writing. My head is emptier than my soul, my lord. I have no idea, nor do I have the capacity to disobey you. Kristen was sitting in her dorm room, feeling distraught. She really wanted to talk to somebody about what had happened with Maddie, but the person that she really needed to talk to was in another dimension. She thought she would have to wait until they got home to talk to her. She thought about the locator charm that she gave Denise and started to scrounge around her dorm room to try to find the other half of the charm. A few minutes later, she found it. 
It was acting peculiar, though. It was glowing. It was only supposed to glow if Denise was close. But how could she be close? As far as Kristen knew, Denise was back on Terra 1. She held the charm up in the air and connected it to her magical compass. Locate Denise. The GPS started to move and then began to point in a direction toward the door of the dorm room and to the elevator. Kristen followed it closely. Meanwhile, Denise watched multiple view screens of UAD-protected worlds. All at once, her attention was drawn to a potential immortal couple who sat in their living room, snuggled on their couch. They were both reading graphic novels under a large quilted blanket. Denise let her mind wander for a moment. She hoped that someday she'd have someone to share her life with. Someone to share a quiet evening at home with. Denise's thoughts were interrupted by an electromagnetic force which pushed the back of the lover's home into the front of it, compacting it into half the house it had been. The couple somehow remained unharmed as they simply sat on the couch, holding on to each other. They had been moved to the front stair, and they realized that their puppy, Peanut, was upstairs. But there was no longer an upstairs. Luckily, Peanut ran across the collapsed staircase and into the couple's arms on the couch. The three jumped through the front bay window and drove their jeep out of sight. It was really an intense tableau. How was she supposed to watch these catastrophic events and not do anything to help them? Denise's job today was simply to observe potentials. Samantha entered the room. Denise, I'm glad you're here. We need to talk. Yeah? Okay? Please sit down. There's no easy way to say this. Darian's little sister, my little sister... Madeline just lost her life to suicide. Samantha put her hand on Denise's hand. Denise put her head in her other hand and began to sob. I'm really sorry. Unfortunately, in our line of work, we have to say goodbye to people more often than we'd like. Do you want to talk? I guess. Unfortunately, our powers can't save us from ourselves. I'm sorry, Denise. This is the worst day ever. What the hell is happening? I'm really sorry, Denise. You can go to Terra One with Jake and I for the funeral. As Denise lifted her hand, she noticed that the charm bracelet that Kristen had given her was glowing and floating slightly toward the door. Sam noticed it too. What's that? It's a charm bracelet that Kristen gave me. I guess she must have cast a spell on it. I don't know why it's glowing like that. It's a locator spell, so you guys can find each other. I don't think that it would be a good idea for her to know you are here. It may blow your cover. What if we just say that you brought me here to see my friends because of Madeline? I guess that would work. Let's go outside and intercept Kristen before she finds us in the secret room. Denise quickly gathered her things and stuffed them back into her purse. It was rather large and had a lot of supplies in it. Sam opened the door and motioned for Denise to go through it. We better hurry. It looks like that thing is glowing even brighter. They quickly left the room and began walking toward Kristen's dorm building. Right as they were within visual range of the dorm building, they spotted Kristen with her right arm outstretched and the charm floating toward Denise. Kristen! Denise! What are you doing here? In this world? They embraced like they always did when they saw each other. I brought her here for support in this trying time. I knew you needed your best friend. 
Sam and Denise hoped that this would be enough of an explanation for Kristen not to question it and trust that this was the only reason she was there. Well, whatever the reason, I am so glad to see you. I'm sure Darian and Max will be happy you are here too. What about Chad? I'm not so sure he'll be glad to see me. Oh, actually, Chad met someone here, and I'm sure your past won't matter anymore. I hope you're right. He met someone? What's she like? A bit wild, very pretty, and they're really very happy together. Well, that's good. I'm happy for him. I think I'm going to get ready for our departure. Kristen, can you look after Denise while I'm gone? Maybe show her around a little? Sure. Come on, Denise, let's go for a walk. Okay, uh, see you later, Sam. It, it was nice meeting you. Denise quickly tried to cover for Sam and make it look like they just met that day so that Kristen wouldn't get wise to the real reason Denise was at the Academy. I'm tired of this. I know by your behavior that you're lying. I'll just have to see myself. If you were innocent, you would just show me. What are you hiding, infidel? Nightmare placed his index fingers into Dark Cloud's temples, cleansed his heart of rage, and opened his mind into Dark Clouds. Just like Destroyer, he found a large iron wall extending in all directions to infinity in the space and the seemingly impenetrable door before him. All of the structures seemed medieval in style, perhaps in an attempt to threaten any who came into contact with it. Nightmare, though, would not be threatened. If your head is so empty, why protect it like this? Nightmare cried into the darkness, assuming no one was around it. A white chalky font appeared on the door, large and bold in the foggy cavernous space around Nightmare. Every letter acted like it was being typed in caps lock, popping into existence and making a loud explosive sound. Why would I leave myself open? It's my head, and I'd like to keep it that way. I have my own secrets. You have no right to invade my privacy. I have every right to know what my subordinates do when I'm not around. You report to me. Show me. You're not hiding your guilt. If you were proving your innocence, this would be over by now. What are you hiding? Nightmare was fed up with screaming into the blackness around him. And so, Nightmare jumped out of the dream realm and dug his fingers in the Dark Cloud's eyes. This distracted him enough to allow Nightmare to see more. Nightmare then calmly re-entered the dream realm. Images flashed before his eyes, first colors, then sounds. Then faces crippled with pain. Many faces. Then one face. Masses of people. Fear, panic, sadness, distress. All the faces contorted or deformed or just outright hurt. Then they had bodies. Some ran, some ripped apart. Mothers grieved for children. Husbands cried over their wives' bodies. Children desperately cried out for their mothers as they were taken away by other adults. Nightmare didn't come for this, but the scenery made him sick in his heart with rage. He pushed past all of this and found an image of Lexi. She was screaming, flailing even. Her entire body was chained down to a post in the gray, foggy space. Her face contorted with tears. Her voice was pure screams. Help me! Somebody! Help me! I don't want to be here! 
one heard her cries. Shadows formed around her, and her desperation reached its climax. Someone! Anyone! Please! Wake me up! I don't want to see this! Please help me! Mom! And then she quickly calmed down as the shadows engulfed her body. She was calm, complacent even. And behind her, Dark Cloud sat, whispering into her ear. What he said could not be heard, but Nightmare had seen enough. Yet Nightmare continued to surge through more and more images, images of older men with young Lexi, an old man at a table counting cash in front of Lexi, an image of a younger woman and Lexi in front of him as he sent them off to be seen by older men. Nightmare left the dreamscape. His mind was reeling. He backed away in horror of Dark Cloud. Dark Cloud wrote nothing, no explanations, just sat there in shock with an awkward smile on his face. How dare you! If you think I've invaded your privacy, then you should check your facts. What the hell have you done? Dark Cloud's eyes widened as his fear grew, but he tried to keep a mask of a harmless, innocent smile on his face. Nightmare formed a fist, drawing blood from digging his fingernails into his palm. His entire being consumed itself with fury, and he grabbed Dark Cloud by the collar. You disgust me! Nightmare went back to using his threatening voice. Dark Cloud lost the fear in his eyes and shaded his feelings with an innocent smile. Nightmare, reeling from the shock of knowing he put his subordinates at risk with this man, knew the only thing he could do was force Dark Cloud to atone for his sins. It was 1600 hours, and Darian and the others were all at Sean's house getting ready to depart for the funeral. Most of them had never actually been through a portal before, so they were all a little nervous about it. Max and Chad had gotten their leave requests approved very quickly. Sean had just returned with a portal gun so they could make their journey home. After reading through the instructions, I think I understand how this works. Hey, Kristen, what are the coordinates for our Earth? Here, program them in. Sean handed Kristen the portal gun. Kristen took the portal gun and used the tablet to find the proper coordinates for Rose Hill Manor Park, a secluded park in Maryland close to where they needed to go. <laughs> this is nothing like a super soaker. Okay, now according to these directions, we need to go outside so we don't damage anything. We need to open the portal with at least 10 feet of open space in every direction. They all grabbed their bags and stepped outside. Kristen pushed the button to activate the portal and a beam of light emitted from the portal gun. A swirling circular light appeared and then stabilized. Okay, let's go. She stepped into the swirling light and vanished. Everyone else stepped through one by one after her. They arrived in a small historic park. It was dark and they could barely see anything. Then as their eyes adjusted, they saw they were safely placed in Rose Hill Manor Park, near the center of town in Frederick, Maryland. They were home. The air was crisp and felt thin, but clear. When they looked up at the clock, it read 2.07. They assumed it was obviously AM because it was so dark. It was also a bit cold. Come on guys, our house is this way. 
Darian pointed toward the sidewalk that would lead to his house. Then they began to walk toward Darian's house, singing Weird Al songs quietly as to not disturb the neighbors. It's time that I take matters into my own hands and listen to those that I trust the most. Our partnership is broken. You have violated the one protocol that we renegades hold above all. Never ever do you interact with another sexually in a dream unless they have consented beforehand. When I hired you on and agreed to be your teacher, you swore to uphold this above all else. Dark Cloud began to look for exits in the room while averting his eyes. Then he looked directly at Nightmare and wrote, You can't do much without my Dark Cloud technology. I suppose you're right. We'll just have to do it without. Dark Cloud stood and headed to the door. Nightmare grabbed him swiftly by the collar. Chalk dust flew everywhere, and Nightmare immediately spat to remove the chalk from his mouth. You think I'm just going to let you leave? Nightmare took Dark Cloud into his thrall. Dark Cloud became docile immediately comatose and lifeless. By this time, the bar had filled with spectators of all kinds, awed by Nightmare's power over Dark Cloud, and excited to see what he would do next. Each glad they hadn't crossed Nightmare, knowing that crossing a man with such power was truly folly. No. You have committed the vilest of all acts, and for this you will suffer. When they arrived at Darian's house, it was 3 a.m. Everyone was tired from the walk, but Darian still felt a little wired. He rang the doorbell, and a minute later, his father answered the door. He was a bit disheveled, and it was obvious he was drained. He brightened up slightly when he saw Darian and Kristen, then even more so when he saw Sean. He hadn't seen Sean in a very long time, and his heart ached to hold his eldest son. He just wished it was under better circumstances. Come on in, guys. Darian, your room's as you left it. Max, Chad, you'll stay here tonight. It's too late to wake your parents. Sean, you and... Sean, much to his chagrin, just realized that he had not had the chance to introduce Alicia to his father yet. Dad, this is Alicia. Hi, it's nice to finally meet you. Sorry, I wish it was under better circumstances. Nice to meet you. You guys can stay in the guest room, which is actually Sean's old room. Then they shuffled in single file, and they all squeezed into the living room. They all still had unanswered questions about Madeline's death, so nobody wanted to go to bed quite yet. Dad, what happened to Madeline? How did she die? Eugene sat down in a reclining chair and sighed deeply. He let out a small grunt as the recliner's footrest swung forward to lift his legs. Two nights ago, we woke up to her standing beside her mother with a knife in her hand and blood dripping down the blade. It was her own blood. She was squeezing the knife. She then ran out of the house and your mother ran after her. She jumped off the cliff, Terry. I called the paramedics. There was nothing they could do. The fall killed her. Eugene put his head in his hands and began sobbing. She was so much more sensitive in the past few months. Something changed about her attitude. It was like she wasn't herself anymore. 
like someone else had taken over her body. She stopped hanging out with her usual friends and was constantly around these other, darker goth kids. It was hard to believe that it was our Maddie at all. To be honest with you. Darian felt like part of his soul died. His sister and he argued and played tricks on one another, but they were actually really close. She was part of his circle of friends and an integral part of his heart. And he couldn't understand why Madeline would commit suicide. He wondered if her new boyfriend had anything to do with it. Madeline had a strong sense of life and had so much to live for. Nightmare suddenly felt a surge of clarity. A two-pronged solution presented itself to him. You're right. I can't operate the Dark Cloud technology without your psionic ability. In one swift action, Nightmare plucked the Cranonium Immortal Slaying Blade from the tanned hide pocket at his side and jammed the dagger deep into Dark Cloud's heart. A voiceless cry attempted to leave Dark Cloud's muted lips as he tumbled from his barstool to the floor. Nightmare's soul-collecting vest thrummed gently against his chest as Dark Cloud's soul and ability passed into the vest. <sighs> Anyone who had previously not been watching the argument between Dark Cloud and Nightmare was now drawn in by Nightmare's growl. A wave of relief fell over the patrons of the establishment. It began slowly, and then began to pick up more intensity. As the crowd smiled, nodded, and ended in a victory clap for Nightmare. Nightmare, being the showboat that he is, decided to bow, and the crowd roared with more applause and cheering ensued. All hail the renegades! Demon rights for all! The room grew quiet. Nightmare composed himself and beamed with pure delight. This is not the reaction I expected. I didn't mean to cause a scene or disrupt your evening plans, but I see that you're all elated at the expiration of Dark Cloud. It appears that he has caused quite a dark pall over all of your lives. And if I could get some help with the body, I shall provide a round of drinks for the house. A toast. May we all conduct ourselves with a pure conscience and decency, honor and integrity so that our moral code is seen by all, so that our fight for demon rights comes to us with ideal principles and ethical codes. Let us earn our respect and be seen with real goodness in our hearts. To ethics! To, to ethics! ethics. Darian jerked awake. Then he looked around, confused. He seemed to be alone, laying back in a recliner. This didn't seem right. Where was Kristen? Why wasn't he in bed? He had to find her. This was the worst dream yet. The other Maddie was in serious danger. Maybe it was already too late. Could he even stop this? The thoughts continued to race through his mind as he got up from the recliner. As he began to focus more on his surroundings, he realized, Sean's house? What am I doing here? He was in Sean's study, surrounded by books. 
Sean's desk was on the other side of the room, and the only door in or out was beyond it. Darian took a few steps and gripped the handle, opening the door. Something was off. It felt like this place was pallid, washed out, devoid of color. Sean? Are you here? There was no response. Darian continued through the house, finding it unkempt and in disarray. All the pictures had been taken down from the walls. As he passed the kitchen, dishes overflowed from the sink. What was going on? Just as he was about to enter the dining room, Darian felt a hand on his shoulder. Ah, there you are. I thought I might find you here. Darian was still recoiling from the sudden, unexpected touch and voice. Shit, Sean, you scared the hell out of me. Why didn't you respond when I called out earlier? What do you mean you thought you'd find me here? What am I even doing here? And what's going on? Why is this place so weird? I'm afraid there's no time to explain any of that, but I thought you might come to me for answers. You've been having nightmares, have you not? Or perhaps I should say visions. Things that you should not know, and yet you know. Things that should not see, and yet you see. Yes, but how do you know that? You told me. Well, you will tell me. But I won't take you seriously, not at first anyway. I'll dismiss them as mere nightmares. A way for you to cope with... Maddie's death. Right. I know what you're feeling, because I felt it too. I was wrong, Darian. The dreams do mean something. Wait, you're telling me you're from the... Future, yes. Not that I've actually traveled through time. Years from now, I'll discover a way to enter the dreams of those in the past. Darian looked at him carefully for the first time in the dark room. Sean's face looked well-worn, scars lining it. No longer did he have the exuberant look of a young professor. He seemed a war-weary soldier now. Oh my god. Maybe I am going crazy. It would probably be better if you were, but I'm afraid that's not the case. Well, if this is for real, what happened to you? That is far too much to get into right now, Darian. Suffice it to say that bad things are coming. Things that will force us all to do things we never intended to do. Like me, joining the battalions. As if Maddie dying isn't bad enough. I am sorry, Darian. If you let me, I'll help you through all of this. I will help you to work through your feelings over Maddie's death. I will help you to find the truth of your dreams. I will help you to prevent what is to come. I took a risk interfering with the timeline like this, but we have no other choice. We cannot come back from the events that have taken place in my timeline. Therefore, there is no choice but to make sure that they do not come to pass. What would you have me do? From now, grieve. Know that there is nothing that you could have done. Know that she loved you, and that she knew you loved her. What about the dreams? You said they're real? What are they? Have they happened yet? What you see are glimpses of another world. I don't know for sure, but I believe the things that you see are premonitions. Glimpses of what may be, rather than what is, but I cannot say if they can be undone once seen. I will try to find out more before we next meet. Wait, what if something happens to her before then? I can't bear losing Maddie again, especially if there's something I could do to stop it. Nothing will happen before then, I promise. I have been through your time before, remember? Alright, Sean, I'll trust you. Good. Also speak nothing of this to me. 
I mean, the Sean of your time. You cannot trust him in matters such as this. He won't believe in your dreams. And he will tell you that dream walking backwards in time is impossible. Because as far as he knows, it is. Involving him will be nothing more than a distraction and a waste of time. I understand. You will get through this, Darian, I promise you. Sean reached out and embraced Darian, holding him tightly as Darian held back tears. Moments later, he was awake in his bed. Kristen slept soundly next to him. What in the hell is going on? After the attack on the academy, students and instructors worked together to repair damaged systems, classrooms, dorms, and structures. The infirmary was filled with many injured, but with academy technology, science, and magic, many would recover to full strength. Each day, students received instructions via their tablets on where, when, and to whom they should report to for the day. Jesse and John were asked to report to the counseling center that morning. Everyone was doing their fair share of group therapy, and they supposed their number had been called. This will be my least favorite assignment. I don't know. I think it's important to have a stable mind in order for all of us to move forward. When I was a kid, they used to call victims of war shell-shocked. It's not what happened here. I wonder when we can return to classes. I really want to build that mech suit. I already have several designs drawn out on my tablet. Could be a while. As they approached the counseling office, Davina escorted them into her office. Please come in and have a seat, gentlemen. Both men looked at each other in confusion. After reviewing some footage on the attack, it appears Dr. Carson was turned into a vampire. This means that he's with the renegades now. I'm sorry, boys. This isn't fair. I needed him. He was going to teach me. He was my favorite teacher here. John put a hand on Jesse's shoulder. This really blows, Jesse. Maybe I can help you with your project. What's this project you're working on? It's a suit. A robotic suit. Sounds rather interesting. Is it something the whole class could work on? Yeah, and in, in fact, that was the plan. Dr. Carson and I wanted to make it a class project. Well, it's settled then, isn't it? Jesse and John, you'll be heading up Dr. Carson's class and building this robot suit thing. Congratulations, you've just gotten yourselves a job. I can't teach. I, I came here to learn. Well, there's no better way to learn than to teach. You've got your assignment. This isn't how it's supposed to be. We'll take it. Thank you, ma'am. It mightn't be good for the two of you to stay for some group counseling. Yes, ma'am. John led Jesse to the group therapy room, and Davina patted Jesse's left shoulder. You'll get through this. War's tough, but it'll make you tougher. Sam was sitting alone on the couch in the living room, turning through a photo album of old family pictures. She was smiling at the happy time she spent with Maddie and her other siblings. She heard a door close from down the hallway and looked up at the footsteps to see Darian awake, a dazed look of confusion on his face. She looked at him sympathetically. How are you holding up, Darian? You're going through a lot right now, and something like this is a lot to take for anyone. Darian sat on the couch next to her. I'm okay. I mean, I think I'm okay. Care to elaborate on that? I've been having some intense dreams. I don't really think they're dreams. More like visions. But I don't know. 
Maybe I'm just going crazy. Sam looked at him with concern in her eyes. Can you tell me about them? I'm not sure if I should. They're about Maddie, but then... Last night, Sean was in my dream. Why would Sean enter your dream last night? You'll probably think I'm crazy, but... It's not like Sean... Like our Sean. This Sean is from the future. He was different, Sam. He didn't look like a peaceful professor. He looked like he had been through some serious battles. All kinds of scars. He was definitely older. He talked to me about my other dreams. And he had a warning. He said that the attack on the ball was only the beginning. More is coming. And the academy will be thrown into disarray. But he's going to tell us how to stop it. Darian... I don't know if what you're saying is even possible, but if it is, surely altering the timeline like that could be catastrophic. That's how desperate the situation is in his time. We have to stop it now, because there is no winning it there. We should ask Sean about this. He might be able to... No! Sean was very specific that he can't involve his younger self. His lack of knowledge in this matter will only serve as a distraction. As far as he knows, this kind of dreamwalking isn't possible, because he hasn't learned how to do it yet. Very well. I will talk to Jake. We can see what precautions and preparations can be made in case of future attacks. If he gives you any more information, you will pass it on to me? I will. Finally, Nightmare was alone. The day's celebration was still coursing through his mind. Once he returned to Renegade Headquarters, he continued the party with Emerson, Red Beetle One, Destroyer, Dominator, and even Mordred. Now he was freshly showered and dressed in his dark cloak, he was ready to decompress and review the events that had transpired. He connected his vest to the machine, and the life counter added one more life to the total. One step closer to bringing his lady love back into existence. As a vampire, it would take many more souls to connect her life essence to this plane of existence. Tonight's mission came with the added benefit of obtaining this additional soul. Nightmare ran his hands over the ivory casket and then lingered at the top of the casket, envisioning the woman who would regain her life, her immortal life, with this machine. Once the machine uploaded Dark Cloud's soul, he would be able to download the Dark Cloud technology into his own body, giving him the ability to block out cities. Nightmare took out a crushed purple velvet diary with a silk-embroidered tassel and began to write. Journal Entry, November 5th, 1995. Soul Captured, Dark Cloud. Psionic Ability, Dark Cloud Technology. Reason, Ethical Protocol Broken. Am I responsible for Lexi's mind rape? If I had never met Dark Cloud and taught him how to master the dreamscape, he would not have been able to connect with her. I guess I did what I had to do at the time. The United Alliance of Dimensions has assigned us a threat level of Major, and as soon as I found out what was going on, I did take matters into my own hands. Ever since I turned off my empathy, I haven't been able to sense the darkness in those I am interacting with. But I need to know who I can trust. My empathic ability is just too strong. 
I will need to rely on my team more for their opinions on who we should trust. I should be doing that anyway if I want to be a considerate and great leader. I hope Lexi recovers. Emerson has not been the same. I need his cheery grins to get me through the doldrums of life without my other half. End journal entry. Thank you for listening to the 8th episode of Battalion 13 The Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Battalion13HQ. Email us at B13 at Battalion13HQ. Support the show by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash Battalion13HQ.